You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. Are, are you surviving? Um, yes, I, I'm thriving. <laughs> thriving? Yeah, it's been a good week. Um, had a fun birthday weekend last weekend, and Becca Hammond is in town, so she's visiting for a couple weeks. Or maybe I can convince her to stay here forever. I don't know. Are you, are you and Becca close? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd say every time we were at a race together, we try to hang out. And um, and she came to visit in March. Wait. No, sorry. February. February, March. I don't know. She came to visit for like a couple weeks here in Boulder this year. And I'm trying to convince her to move out here. <laughs> Mm. No, what I would like about living in Boulder is I would like my friends that live at sea level to come out and visit me in Boulder and then just drive them into the ground at, <laughs> in elevation. That's what I would like Oh, yeah, to it's do. wonderful. <laughs> so you're running circles around her then? You can tell us. It's okay. Um, Be- Becca definitely felt the first run that we did. Yeah. But <laughs> but she, she kept up totally fine. It was an easy run. Like we just, but I could tell that she was, yeah, like she definitely felt it. But I think that she also hasn't been running as much. She's um, she's definitely fit. She's always fit no matter what. But she does a lot of elliptic-going. And for the last like couple months, has been taking it like pretty conservatively to make sure that her shin is okay. Interesting. Well, well, now, what type of training partner are you? Are you the, I can just go out and do whatever I feel like? Or are you the Rhea Cole, every day's tempo day? <laughs> uh, it depends who you ask. If you ask <laughs> okay. Nell... She would say that I at least used to run too fast every day. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not too fast, but just you know, for, for the mileage that I was doing. Um, if she wanted to run an easy day with me, she knew that it was going to be just like a, I don't know, quality easy day. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that, that's not a thing, Nicole. <laughs> that's not a thing. Like we can still talk and run, but it was just like. I like little... that term. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, but I think, yeah, she would say now that I definitely will take some days easier. You work so, with now? Um, as in like, does she coach me? Yeah. No, she's my second coach. <laughs> ah, who's your first coach? David Roach. Okay. Yeah. So he, he coaches like everyone in the trail running world. <laughs> and he was Amelia's coach or still is. And um, so I reached out to him in 2016 when I was first going to do trail and obstacle course racing because um, I thought that, you know, he would maybe have some insight into OCR, coaching Amelia. Um, and so but he, he basically just tells me, you're strong enough. You don't need to lift anything else. Just run. <laughs> so he just handled my running. <laughs> I'd always wondered. I hear like, you know, because some people do have like run specific coaches, not OCR specific coaches, actually a lot of people. So do you just throw in your own OCR work as you feel necessary or is that prescribed to you? Yeah, it's interesting. So, so David just handles running. Um, and then, and I think it has been, I don't know how to say this in a, in a nice way. <laughs> so so I, I love David. I love his approach. And I think we both have the same mindset when it comes to, a, to approaching obstacle racing. 
um, where like we, we value the running training over everything else and that comes first. Um, so -hmm. we're like totally aligned in that way, but at the same time, I, that means that I had to figure out the other aspects of OCR training myself. Um, and it definitely took me a while. So I don't know. I mean, like, you know, if I'd had a, an OCR coach who handled everything, um, or maybe if I had just had, um, a strength coach earlier, then I probably Mm -hmm. would have kind of like, you know, been a little bit quicker to, to gain the strength I needed for the heavy carries and figure out some other things. Well, that, that interests me. So without like giving away all the secrets and, and all that, um, how, how do you go about taking a run specific plan and then do you morph some of the workouts into your own or do you add stuff in addition? Um, so I never have workouts where I'm combining any type of obstacle or lifting training with running. Um, I'm not really, like, I wouldn't say that I'm against that, that idea of doing so. It's just that this is kind of what works for me. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I don't, I, I just keep it very separate, which, um, which makes it easy to have separate coaches. Um, and even now, like I don't exactly have a strength coach. I have Nell and Dylan and Matt and Hunter <laughs> and they just kind of like give me some advice and I, uh, join workouts when I, when I can. And, um, it kind of works out, but does that look like lifting or wads or met- like, how, how are you getting your ability? Cause you, you transition really well. I, I've noticed in your races, you seem to be able to get back to running quickly. Is that innate or what are you doing that allows you to do that in races? I think that transition comes from practice. So, um, in or earlier in 2019, I raced a lot and that was one thing specifically that I focused on. Mm. Um, so I think that really came with that experience mostly. Um, but I mean, I think like the more aerobically fit you are, the easier it is going to be to switch back into hard running. And the more that you have that type of like Mm. tempo in your legs, um, so for me, like, so going back to quality easy days, <laughs> so like when I was just a runner and I lived at sea level, all my easy runs were very rarely slower than like seven, seven fifteen pace. So I think that hmm. part of it is that if that's like my list, like that's like easy for me, the slowest I'm going to be going ever, maybe <laughs> then, you know, like getting back to even seven minute pace, it's like not too bad. Um, if right. it's like a long race for sure. So, right. uh, I, th- I think that actually kind of helps is just like having, being really comfortable at like a semi, semi fast tempo, like six thirty seven minute pace is like pretty easy for me. I don't, uh, I don't see you running six thirty or seven minute pace on the course very often, Nicole, I'm going to be honest. You're usually a little quicker than that. <laughs> you think so? Um, <laughs> I, I know so. I remember seeing, I want, I remember seeing your, you and Lindsay's times in West Virginia last year. And thinking like, holy shit. Because I know, in fact, I think I was like the same time as Lindsay and I was eighth on the men's side. And I couldn't believe the pace. Like, I know how fast that we were running. That's incredible. Like, you're, not, you're never running seven-minute pace in that race for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for you to tell because, I mean, the terrain is so crazy in Spartan races too. So, um... yeah. This isn't something we, we planned on even talking about early on, but it reminds me, you brought up Amelia and then you guys talked about the West Virginia race. Amelia and I had had these conversations back when she lived in Chicago and back when she was at the top of her game and healthy. She always wanted Spartan to let her race the men's field one time on a race that didn't matter as much because she her goal is to make a men's podium at one of the regional races. 
And at the time, she and I both believed she could if she got in the right race. But you mean at one of the more competitive races? Oh, uh, sorry, no, like one of the like, normal, uh, like in, in the region, like an Illinois Super or something like that. Okay, something, yeah. something smaller. And we mm -hmm. both thought that she could, but Spartan never gave her the green light. And one time they did, but she like she needed that other race for something, so she never got to. But with you and Lindsay, do you believe that you guys could make? Because because your times oftentimes put you in the top 10 of the men's field. Do you think you could run a men's race with the men and do that, like legitimately do that, as long as you got to do the women's weights? Oh, oh yeah, totally. If I did the women's weights, oh, for sure. So that you're legitimately that much better than most of the guys on this type of terrain. That I think I could be in the top 10? Yes. Or podium? Um, yeah, I mean, if Phoenix last year, I was fourth overall, time-wise, and I was running alone. So, but, but it's like, I don't know. I mean, Crazy. yeah, like if I was like up against you guys and like on your heels and you saw me, like, wouldn't you guys try to go faster? Well, I don't know. <laughs> like it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say. Would that, would that make people race faster than they race their own peers already? Or would it break them? Like, okay, I still can't drop Nicole. Uh, you know, like if you went past someone on an uphill and they passed you on the down and you passed on the next flat, like, would that be the end for them mentally? It's interesting for me. Yeah. So I guess my big question now is now that you told me, yes, you can beat them. Would you, would you try to get Spartan to let you run a men's elite wave and see what happened? I've tried. <laughs> and they just won't so, do it? Actually. So the last, the first race that was canceled this year, San Jose, I, I called up Spartan. I, I talked to, I think I talked to Hammond and Morris and um, I think because, so Steve and I and, and Lindsay actually, so me and Lindsay have, have like individually talked to Steve about like okay. trying to race him before. Because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the three of us are pretty well matched. <laughs> and so I think it was San Jose that that Steve was going to race. I could be wrong though. But anyways, but yeah, so San Jose, I, I thought about trying to run the men's sprint, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I knew that I was going to have to do the men's car carries, which would be pretty hard for me. I mean... Sandbag, yeah. that'd be okay. Bucket, it, it'd be hard, but it, it would be okay. The tire, I've been able to flip it um, in the venue, but that's, I know that's entirely right. different than in a race. But they wouldn't let you do the women's tire? It's all in? No, yeah. But, and actually, so I thought that I would be able to do it if I did all the men's weights, mm -hmm. but they called me back and they said they wouldn't let me do it. Now, what was the reasoning on that? Because I feel that if you win a world title, you should have a golden pass into any race you ever want and you should be able to go challenge the opposite sex because you've earned it um i don't remember the reason um it's nonsense i think they just said like they wouldn't allow like the men to race the women's race. i don't know i don't remember what it was i i really feel like i should be able to race if i do the weights the men's weights yeah. i think that should be fine i think it would be very hard for me even if they said this is a standalone race one time, let's say San Jose, we're going to let the top five ranked women run in the men's field and do the women's races and just make it like a catchweight race where, you know, first across the line gets a bonus, like a battle of the sexes. That would be unbelievably fun to watch. And can you imagine if they live stream that? Yeah, I think. And I also think that a lot more women would be interested in doing that. Like Alyssa, she's definitely mm -hmm. strong enough too. Um, you know, I think Lindsay would try it. Um, I raced at the same time as Faye at High Rock Chicago, and she was running her thousands faster than I was. Yeah, she ran them faster than everybody, I think. 
Yeah, it, her compromise running is out of this world. So I would love to see women dropping men or running them down in the second half of the race. It would be so much fun. I, I really hope Spartan gets on board and allows you to do it. Yeah, I think it's something worth asking again. I think the problem they have with, with that, though, is like, I'm guessing their reticency was because if they open the door for one person, they're going to feel like the pressure to open the door for whoever asks, and then it's going to get blurry. I'm assuming that's that was probably the, the caveat. Yeah, but I mean, there. we've seen this yeah. before, like that Michael Johnson, Donovan Bailey was that race where where they just had the two fastest men in the world race in a solo. It was like a 150 meter or 200 meter race. Like they just did it to do it and everyone knew it was a one-off. I think they could do something like that. Yeah. They would probably have to, to be very clear about it. And like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. What, what Kirk said, like if, if they let me do it, then there's probably other women in age group or uh, I guess open doesn't matter, but yeah. And then what if a, a guy wants to go hop in the women's field and just say, okay, let me, you should go both. Both ways. I, that might be it. They may not want to like fully explain the like, because I mean, you know, there, there's there's like some controversy over, you know, like who competes as a female, who competes yeah. as a male. And so maybe they just don't even want to get into that part of the sport, you know? Yeah. Well, Steve did on the show a couple weeks ago say he could beat you in a beer mile. Oh, everybody could beat me in a beer mile. I ran 21 <laughs> minutes and 40 seconds. It took me forever. <laughs> I literally... I was kneeling down on the mile. track, chugging my last beer because I was drunk. <laughs> so you could have power walked the whole thing right. faster. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally. Uh, but I ran five minutes for the actual like running. <laughs> <laughs> Just took you 15 minutes yep. to drink beer. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, Nicole, but we're going to, we're going to do a little more uh, OCR talk a uh, little later on, but I actually, I know you were on Obstacle Dominator with Bracken uh, maybe like a year ago or so. And Bracken told me that you guys talked about your backstory a little bit, like your upbringing. And I don't know any of that. And I told Bracken that I still want to hear a little bit of where you came from, how you got to where you are. And then we want to ask you some questions about today um, and where, how you got to where you're at in the sport. But I just kind of want to know the very, be- the very beginning for you. Like um, you're a Texas girl, right? Yes, right? I was born in Louisiana, but moved to Texas when I was like three years old. So grew up in Texas, went to college in Texas, spent about 20 years there. And you, so you spent your upbringing as like a flatlander. Oh, totally flat. Like. There was, it was very hard to find any hill at all. Like in, in college, we ran oh. um, at this, this like, um, it was like a mound that was made to, for a concert venue, basically. And we would run up and down it. It took probably max 30 seconds to get up it. <laughs> and we ran we ran up mm. and down for an hour. We would just like <laughs> like snake around the whole thing. And that, w- that was our hill day. I mean, we had very little to work with. We had um, in college, I went to uh, Oshkosh, which is the flattest place on earth. And the only place we had hill was called Garbage Hill. And it was an old uh, dump where they covered in dirt and put grass over it. So we ran up and down a hill that was over garbage and it took, and it was 30 meters long. And that's what we did our mile repeats on. We did tempo work and that's all we had. So I can yep. feel you there. That sounds pretty similar. <laughs> well, well, I knew you, you know, I knew you grew up somewhere flat and then thinking about how good you are at, at mountain courses now, you know, that's always a work in progress. Bracken and I talk about that all the time being like flatlanders and, and how that's a card we just are dealt um, were you, were you like great at the first mountain you climbed or did that take a lot of work? Um, I think I was always good at hilly courses in both high school and college. Um, 
but again, it's like, I mean, a hilly course in cross country is so different. (laughs) That's just about, I think it's, yeah, it's just about being able to like put out a little bit more power and then go back into your normal stride. So, um, and I'm like, kind of like a kind of, you know, I'm a steeplechaser. I'm a, I was a more like, like slightly more athletic runner in college. So I think that's why I could do hills then, but hills now are totally different. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to think the first time I did like a mountainous course, I think I had been in Colorado for a long time before I I really did like a mountainous, like Spartan course or trail race. But I do remember coming to Colorado for a summer during college and going on a run with my friend, um, which blew my mind. I was like, you don't run this, you hike this. And, and there's, there's trails like that I run all the time now that when I first moved here that summer, I would have, I would just, I just didn't even think that was like an option to run on that terrain. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I, I used to, uh, I used to go in Colorado and altitude train in between semesters in college. And I stuck to the roads and I stuck to the maintenance trails because going up something like that was like, that was like for a day hike. That wasn't for running. Like you didn't go run that. That was like yeah. crazy. Um, but I want to go back to like you as a kid. So uh, like, what, what kind of kid were you, Nicole? Like, were you like the ADD hyperactive kid like I was? Or were you like, uh, I don't know, always surplus energy? Or were you more chill, chill little little girl? Um, I was quite shy. I have ADD, <laughs> but but not exactly like super you know, hyperactive. That seems to be the obstacle racers like in their tool belt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was... I was definitely very active and um, like compared to my family, like my family would like go to the beach and like everybody else would be reading and I would just be like running around. Um, so it was hard for me to like sit still, but, um, but I wasn't like crazy hyperactive. I wasn't like Hunter, you know, like, <laughs> like you need to like put him in a box or something. <laughs> um, yeah. But I love sports. I love to compete with my older brother. Outside of running, what, what else did you get involved in athletically? Uh, I played all kinds of sports growing up. I played soccer until my freshman year of high school. I played um, like basketball, softball when I was really little. I wanted to be a ninja for a while. So I took Taekwondo. Um, oh, like a real ninja. <laughs> I wanted to be a real ninja. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, th- we had like tons of movies when we were little that were like three little ninjas or like. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the other, uh, there was tons of them. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> you think that you still have time for that? To be a ninja? Yeah. Is that like something a real you, ninja? Like, like post OCR? Um, <laughs> I would be interested in taking some like martial arts classes. Yeah. That'd be cool. Kick some more boards, get like a blue belt or something. This is not where I saw this going. <laughs> what, what's the difference between ninja and karate? I don't, I mean, ninja is just like the term that I saw on TV, but I took I took just, taekwondo. <laughs> I don't know how taekwondo is different from karate or maybe it is karate. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I should probably you get know. those two sorted and you're you're one step closer to being a ninja. Yeah. <laughs> um so the, the other the other funny thing that I did was so again, Texas super flat. There's no rock in Houston. Um but I went to a rock climbing gym that was like an hour away from my house with my brother's boy scout troop and uh, and I just like immediately like loved it when I was like, growing up as a kid, I climbed on everything. I climbed on like trees and whatever I could get my hands on, but, um, again, no rock. So I went to this climbing gym and I was, I think I was like 10, but I probably looked like I was 
like seven because I was always pretty small. And I, um, I was climbing up this one wall and I got stuck. And so somebody um, lead climbed up to me to like push me to the next hold. And then when I got to the very top, the entire gym had stopped to watch me climb this and started applauding. Um, so that's my first, that's my first ever experience rock climbing. <laughs> you got a standing <laughs> like, ovation. I got a standing ovation because everybody was like, this little girl, she's so tiny. And she just made it up like the, the, the tallest, steepest wall in the gym. Um, which I'm sure like my dad half pulled me up too, but. <laughs> were you, were you too shy to enjoy it? Was that more like an embarrassment? Oh, probably. A, yeah, a probably. <laughs> I was probably like, I just want to climb. <laughs> So what sport, what sport had your heart then? Like when you were a, a real young kid, uh, I assume running and found running yet. So what, what sport were you like? I want to be, if it's not a ninja, okay, we'll just look pat. Like what other sport did you really have a love for? Was it climbing or was it I would else? say climbing. I like, I, even though I couldn't really do it, like there was, there wasn't a gym that we could access conveniently. So um, that was kind of like the only time I rock climbed as a kid. Um, I just, the very little that I knew about it, I was like, that's what I want to do for sure. Um, so besides that and soccer, I was like definitely very, very engaged in soccer growing up and um, was on like a select team and um, and wanted to, wanted to pursue that more. But then everyone else grew in middle school and I kind of stayed the same size. And then I like broke, had this really bad soccer injury where I broke my ankle and then uh, once I came back from that, I was just like, like not as skilled and smaller. And all I could do was outrun them. But that always that didn't always work. <laughs> did that tip you towards running or, or or did you try to fight for a couple more sports until you finally turned to running? The running definitely like, like shifting to running coincided with realizing that I was falling behind in soccer for sure. I, I had like some immediate success in running um, which kind of also came with this, um, just internal pressure. I didn't, I wouldn't say that I had like parental pressure or like pressure from anyone else, <laughs> but, but I had like success immediately with running. And so I just thought that I had to do well in it. And running is something that I, I mean, I don't know of anybody who just starts running and just like loves it. Um, like for me, it was like, mm -hmm. this is painful. <laughs> And it's like kind of uncomfortable at first. And so um, I think it took me a little bit to to really love more more than just like um, excelling at running, like like kind of appreciated the attention and knowing that I was good at it. But the, the like just like purely loving running took a little bit longer. What was your first taste of uh, running? Like, where was your first event or how did you join? And what was that experience? Like, where was your aha moment? Uh, my first race was um, in fourth grade. Like, for some reason, they had all the all the elementary schools in my town uh, came together and had like a one mile race. And I won that. And that was somewhat surprising. Um, we always like, I don't know, like as a kid on the playground, you like you have little like sprinting races. And, um, mm -hmm. and I would always try to beat the boys, obviously. Do you, do you, do you remember your time? I, I know it's a long time. Do you remember your fourth grade oh. mile time? I'm super curious. What did, what did I it take know. to dominate? I don't mile? know. It was like a cross country mile too. Yeah. I, I don't, I have no idea, but, um, but, but yeah, I, I, I was like, I'm a sprinter. <laughs> I don't know why. 
<laughs> and I and I won this one mile race. And then and then like my parents wanted me to like try. Um, I guess for, yeah, that's pretty young. So I don't know. I did little like five k races and and everything was just scary to me. I was like, I, I, do I have to win because I won this <laughs> other one? <laughs> Yeah, I get that. I was lucky because I got my ass kicked in my first race in fourth grade. In fact, I walked the finish line. And so it only could go up from there. So I was ready to go tackle it because we had very <laughs> different experiences that way. Yeah. <laughs> By the time you finished high school, had you turned into like the local stud or were you kind of always trying to reach someone above you throughout high school? Um. Yeah. So middle, middle school, I ran, I ran in middle school and I won every race that I entered um, and then went to high school and I was at a small private school. So I didn't always compete with the bigger public schools, um, but I was definitely consistently the best in the private school races that I did. And then, um, and then I would always be like the top three in the bigger public school meets. So um, there was like, by the time I was a senior in call in, um, in high school, there there was like one other girl who like we would go back and forth with in my town. Um, but I was definitely like one of the top runners in the state. Um, and I, I went to Foot Locker, Foot Locker regionals. Okay. Um, but oh, I didn't did. make it to nationals. Yeah. I was like, I was like one or two spots away from making nationals. That was long though for me because in Texas, the girls used to run two miles, even though the guys ran 5k, Jeez. which is kind of messed up. <laughs> Uh, our our state, our state, the girls ran four k. Yeah, and what and the guys mm -hmm. ran five. Five, yeah. Yeah, but two um, two miles. Yep, that's really short. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> I think two miles <laughs> is a great distance. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And now you and you think the five k was a little long for you then, and now you look at a five k and you just like snicker. <laughs> well, I think that that's like I don't know. I I still definitely love the shorter obstacle course races like 3k is amazing <laughs> i would take that over over other distances any day and and not to jump too far ahead but you are you know you're a world champion at a two plus hour race and a world champion at 3k correct yep when did this range start developing if in high school two miles was like the the top of your effective limit 5k was too long where, where did you start to extend that um, when I went into college, I uh, kind of had an identity crisis. Both me and my coach didn't know where I belonged. Um, I think he he saw that I I in training, like I definitely thrived off of longer workouts and I did well in them. Um, but I still very much wanted to do shorter races. <laughs> so he like would try to like kind of push me towards the 10k, and I was just like, that is so many laps to count. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I dabbled in some longer things in college, but I just, I still really loved the 3K indoor, the 3K steeple, mile. I would have run more 800s if, um, if that was like kind of an option. But um, I mean, I, I ran 212 in high school, but that well, was like quick. an endurance 212. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't really going to get much faster than that. So yeah. that was a negative split 212. <laughs> Was that was that good enough to be like a podium finisher in state? Two twelve is quick. Probably not in not probably not in public school. Maybe though. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I one year I won the eight hundred in my private school division by ten seconds because 
I was like, yeah, like near 12, 12 <laughs> or two twelve, and like there. Yeah. So that was like, yeah, I, I didn't know. I, I had a lot of races where I was just like completely by myself. Uh-huh. And then. So how did you, how did you land on Rice University then? Um, You know, I, so I really valued having, um, going to a good academic school and Rice is definitely that it's, it's smaller too. So I kind of liked that, that feel. And, um, I don't, I don't really think the, the closeness to home factored in too much, but, um, there was definitely this element that the coach knew my high school coach and had kind of been following me since I was started running in high school. And so he definitely knew, like he knew everything I did from like, like they talked weekly. So, um, it was like, I felt very comfortable with the coach and the team and yeah, it's kind of a combination of wanting to go to a really good academic school and then also feeling comfortable with the coach and, and the team. Did that end up paying off in college? Did you guys have a really good coach athlete relationship? Oh yeah. I think, I mean, I had a great high school coach. Um, George was awesome. Jim also just like, you know, one of the best coaches ever. Yeah. So I feel really lucky with the coaches I've had. Um, everyone who comes out of that program is just like Jim is the absolute best. <laughs> so you had some, uh, you had some really like solid collegiate performances. If I'm not, I'm not mistaken. I know you mentioned the steeplechase, but you also had some pretty big cross country successes, didn't you? Yeah, I <laughs> in cross country, I probably was a little bit more successful. I won the regional meet twice. Um, in isn't that crazy, Bracken? A D one regional yeah. cross meet. That's as big. That's almost as big as it yeah. Gets so, in but this is the funny thing. So, I did that twice, but I was never an all American, which I think how? I, how did, what I think I'm probably the only regional champion that was never an all American. Like I've, I, I must be. It's just like <laughs> you peaked too early. Do you think like a week too early, or did you? What no. Do you think uh, so, I I think that kind of always had a little bit of bad luck, and then also nationals was always in. Um, what is that? Indiana, Indiana. (laughs) And it was always pretty cold. Um, and I honestly think Mm. that I don't run well in the cold (laughs) or like, I know. I'd say you proved otherwise this year. Um, (laughs) Continue with your excuses. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so the other girls would say like, Oh yeah, we start the race. (laughs) You know, we're wearing like little like bikinis essentially and like a sports bra. Um, and Mm. they'd be like, Oh yeah, well you're cold at the start line, but like you warm up. And that was not my experience. Like, in in several races, I would start the race and I would just get colder and colder as I went on. Um, so I think that I think that maybe I did need to have on more layers <laughs> than other people. Um, and then also, what else happened um, in cross country? Yeah, I think it was just the cold, maybe, <laughs> and maybe also just like you know, like you blow up sometimes and pressure gets to you and stuff. Um, but in track, I definitely had. It was like more definitive, like bad luck. Like I broke my ankle or sorry, I broke my foot. I sprained my ankle before nationals, um, tore my labrum my, my senior year. Like it was just bad luck with injuries right before nationals. What, what was the labrum tear like? Was that uh, in competition thing or just wear and tear? No. The fr- so I have, I've torn both of my labrums, both my hips. Uh, really? The first one that happened in college was... It was like in January of my fifth year and I was rock climbing um, and I wasn't really supposed to be. (laughs) Coach was thrilled. 
Yeah, he was thrilled. Mm-hmm. So I was rock climbing and I was basically trying to like throw my leg up onto a hold, um, which is something I just like wouldn't even do now. But I was just new to climbing and I was, you know, stubborn. <laughs> so I I threw my leg up and it got to this hold and then I felt a big pop in my hip. So that's how I turned I tore the first one. Um, but the other one was more of an overuse thing. So that was more just like one day started having some hip problems and then um, it could have been that I was compensating for a foot injury that I was having. Um, and so I had kind of a funky gait going on for a while. Was that on your lead leg or your trail leg? Uh, I tore my left one, which would be my lead leg uh, initially. And then, okay. uh, and, and I never steepled after that. So oh, really? Like that, yeah. So after I tore it, I, I had a lot of pain in my hip and I, I could still run somewhat, but I couldn't, I couldn't hurdle. I definitely couldn't do that. And so my fifth year, I didn't do the steeple at all. I just ran the 5k, um, and the, and the 1500. I actually want to ask you more, uh, in a bit about training through injury, because I feel like you've been the most successful banged up athlete probably in our sport. Yeah. And, and, and that's a really big compliment. It really is. Cause it's hard to, to get to the top of the sport when you're constantly battling some sort of nagle. But first, I want to know, um, after college, that gap between college and, and Spartan, what were you What were you doing competitive? Um, so I graduated in 2011, and then I spent all of 2012 trying to get healthy, and I wasn't able to. So I didn't race at all in 2012. I My running was, like, variable. There was big chunks of time where I was just not running at all because I was trying to rehab my hip. And then I, and then 2013 was pretty similar. I almost had surgery on my hip in 2013, but then I <laughs> did um, another round of physical therapy and my hip got better. But <laughs> pretty much like the same month that left hip got better is when I tore my right hip. So I went from like maybe having a few me- a few weeks of running like 60 miles and then all of a sudden my right hip was completely messed up and I spent 20, let's see, uh, I think 2014, I did some races, but I was just like kind of gimping through them. And um, like I ran like the half marathon championships and I was like third to last place. Um, And that's when, that's actually the first time I really felt my hip badly. I felt it like in the first three miles. Um, And then, and then it was like, this weird out of body experience where I couldn't really feel my hip for the rest of the race. And, and so like I finished it, but then it was very messed up. (laughs) Well, not that, not that like your trials with injury are like alluring at all, but I've gotten so many messages recently from people who are banged up and wondering how to train through it and all that. And I feel like these people are using like the current studs as reference points. Like how do I become a Nicole miracle or how do I become you or Ryan Atkins? And they just see like, they just think like it just, you're just that good and you never have problems and you're all <laughs> right on top. But like you went, you went through your shit, huh? With injury for yeah, a long time. I mean, yeah. After, after the hip thing, I, I took, um, I mean, there, the like two and a half years that I pretty much didn't run at all. And then, um, so I think to answer your question, um, how I got back from that like pretty um, pretty debilitating injury and was able to maintain somewhat consistent training was um, was like kind of disregarding this idea that I have to run 60, 70 mile weeks, <laughs> first of all. So um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty happy between 40 and 50 miles. And, um, 
And I, I don't actually, I don't typically cross train a ton. Um, I'm actually, I'm hopefully getting a bike soon and like might be incorporating more of that <laughs> because gyms are closed. But, um, but typically yeah. I, I, I rock climb a lot. So I do probably 10 to 15 hours of climbing a week. Um, not when oh, we're I didn't realize you climbed that much. Yeah. I mean, it's like two, two to three hours, like five days a week. What is that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's about that. I remember you saying you could outcline Ryan Atkins and now I'm, I'm understanding maybe why. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that Ryan and I actually are pretty well matched as climbers. Um, I have a little bit more um, experience and maybe better technique. And he's obviously like much stronger in terms of doing like one arm pull-ups and um, just like kind mm-hmm. of like raw strength. But I can probably, my, my finger strength is probably a little bit better as well. So yeah, it's interesting climbing with him because like we get through things in very different ways, um, but our level is about the same. Yeah. It's really interesting. Your labrums, those, I mean, especially hip labrums, those are two, those are two spots that you're left and your right hip that a lot of people just don't come back from that. And you've had (laughs) as much success as you can really have in in a given sport. I mean, I'm, su- I, I'm sure you have aspirations that are bigger than what you've currently done, but like you've reached the pinnacle of a sport after an injury that I'm sure a lot of people told you, like, this is the end of the road for being a distance runner. Yep. Um, and I definitely felt like I was giving up when I stopped running on roads and track. Yeah. Um, and that's what I had to do. I, I saw tons of different specialists. I saw two hip surgeons. Um, even though I do have labral tears, that's you know, very clear, like diagnosed on MRI. Um, this, the surgeons didn't really recommend surgery. <laughs> uh, and I definitely like, I, I could go, I could find a surgeon, I could find a good surgeon that would do hip surgery on my hips for sure. But the fact that there is a couple that were hesitant about it and said that I had kind of some weird symptoms, um, just made me want to go a different way. So I kind of just like avoided everything that hurt and, um, and that was road and track running. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's kind of the other thing is that I, I keep my miles pretty low for a runner. I, um, I run exclusively on trails and, um, and hills to the point that I don't, I don't really run fast on flat ground ever. I like I tempo runs, intervals, long run, like everything is on hills, which is, very different. <laughs> and I think that if somebody had mm. told me like, Hey, you're going to be a good runner, but you're like, you're only going to do these workouts. And if they like showed them to me, I'd be like, you can't run everything on Hills. Like that's impossible. Like that's not going to do it, <laughs> but, um, but it works. And I think, um, you know, obviously I'm not running like super steep grades all the time. Like I, I'll do strides on like, on like gradual uphills. Um, and I and I still try to to sometimes so, do things on. But you don't even today. do strides on flat ground. Not really. No. You are exclusively up or down. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. And and I think this is really good for people to hear because we get a lot of people who push back on the idea that you can become a decent flat ground runner with hill intervals. Yeah. And like you are the farthest to the end of the spectrum that someone could ever be in terms of using hills and still being a flat ground racer at times. Yeah. Um, I mean, I even jumped into like one of my friend's workouts, uh, a few weeks ago and, um, and she's a 1500 meter runner and I was right there with her on an all out 100, (laughs) which like, like, so this is, 
you know, this is like super rare for me to be on the track. I was like, kind of just like, oh, I kind of want to see what it's like. Um, I couldn't do the whole workout with her because again, like my hips started feeling kind of wonky, but I did like a very small bit with her. And then at the very end of it, she she was like, yeah, we're going all out this hundred. And I was like, I was like, well, I'm in my Hoka, like training trail <laughs> shoes, but all right, let's go. <laughs> and I, and I was like, and I like matched her 14 second hundred <laughs> and I, and I was kind of like, oh, okay. Like, I think, uh, you know, the whole concept of hill training is, is speed training in disguise maybe is, has some truth to it. <laughs> Well, not maybe, clearly. I mean, you've, you've won. You are the dominant force on the Spartans' flat ground races. Now, obviously, that's your, your wheelhouse in terms of high school and college, but if Hills weren't doing it, you wouldn't win those. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the running that I did in high school and college, um, I don't think it's exactly like, I don't think it's like because of that <laughs> that I'm still right. able to run on ground, on flat ground. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I think that, I think that you can, definitely accomplish um training for for flatter races and, and having good turnover and good speed with running on hills yeah we uh we we push people towards running up versus forward as much as we can and it's just funny because even on all the broadcasts it's nicole miracle with the most foot speed in the in the field and the only time you run flat and fast is if a race requires it yeah. huh nothing yeah, else i seem to do to do okay like my hip does does well when i have something to break up the fast running too and so that's kind of why like oh, obstacle yeah. racing is sort of perfect <laughs> for the injury that I have. <laughs> um, so yeah, so yeah. I'm, and I've never had problems in a race before with the hip. So people just so they like understand it's, it's very, you know, instead of typically, let's say you do go do 400 meter repeats, but you know, your hip can't handle that. So you go and do 75 second hill repeats instead, yep. correct? You're just translating yep. everything to the hill. And I, this is something that my, my coach, so obviously he doesn't do this with everyone, but he also likes to prescribe these sort of um, like, you know, like hill, hill workouts or even doing like taking a workout that you normally do and, and put half of it on hills um, for, for older mm -hmm. athletes too, because it's less pounding. Mm -hmm. So there's also the advantage of that. Yeah. So are you doing pretty typical run training just put onto the hill or do you do some outside the box stuff? Um, because you, you said that if I looked at these workouts, I thought there's no way you could get fast off this. Was it just the fact that it was hill based or were there some different styles of things you were doing? Um, I'm trying to think. So I guess well, the one, the first thing that is surprising to me is that I only do one workout a week. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, in college we did, we did two workouts, a long run, sometimes three ish mm -hmm. workouts. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm used to that intensity and, <laughs> um, and I, I, I mean, ask, ask Lindsay Faye, like these other girls, like they're doing multiple workouts a week. Um, and, and that's, and I think I, I think I would have like just seen this program and been like, this isn't enough work. Like it's just, it's not going to be enough. You do <laughs> right? one hard workout and then a long run. Yeah, I do one hard workout and I do a long run. Sometimes I'll do, I'll incorporate a harder effort into my long run. Um, but yeah. I think there's something about running exclusively on trails that that also kind of lends additional intensity so like i kind of joke with people like okay if you're running up sanitas easy like there's you can only run up it so easy too <laughs> right like, so i think i think there are other runs where maybe i'm not pressing hard but it's it's a little bit it's more of an effort than running like eight minutes on flat ground if right. that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah 
Isn't her uh, isn't her picture making a little more sense now, Bracken, with her quality easy days <laughs> yeah. in between? See, see, it, you know, only doing one hard workout a week doesn't sound like enough work, but it's plenty of work if that's the formula to keep you healthy mm -hmm. over time. And it also makes a little more sense why you might keep uh, the fire lit on some of those easy days if you're being smart with only one quality workout a week, then you can maybe fill those gaps with a little bit more tempo if you yeah, want. Totally. So how yeah. How big do you go on your quality day then? Do you cram a lot in there or do you just make it one really well-executed quality run? Um, so my workout day is typically like 10 to 12 miles total, it's like three miles warm up, three mile cool down. Um, and then the, the workout itself would be something like uh, five three-minute hills with easy jog down. Mm -hmm. um, or it might mm -hmm. be... Uh, one, two, three, two, one minute hills with easy jog down and then doing like six by a minute on minute off. Um, and recently I have tried to, to incorporate or, or David <laughs> coach has tried to incorporate some like flatter running at the end, um, flatter or rolling type of running because my hip seems to be doing really well recently. Okay. Yeah. So do you do specific downhill work or do you just let your volume of downhill running and training carry you in races? I, I don't really do downhill work. No. Um, you know, I think like sporadically I'll be like, Oh, I'm going to run this, this downhill a little bit harder. Um, if it's like, like it, I'm talking like technical downhills. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. but I am definitely hesitant to practice downhill running because I've, I've wiped out before I've, <laughs> I've like slammed my knee and had to take a couple weeks off. Mm -hmm. I've broken my coccyx. So my butt. <laughs> um, Sounds fun. Yeah. Not, not so fun sitting on a, on like a donut pillow for a few weeks. <laughs> so you're so, willing to take whatever lumps you have to in the race at the expense of being healthy and able to do everything else in training. Yes. I, and I think that, yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's just kind of my personal philosophy maybe, but I don't think you have to go all out on downhills often in order to have that skill in races. I would um, agree with that. It's like aerobic work in general. You have to front load your career with some skill work early and then it's maintenance throughout your career. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Nicole, I want to uh, bridge the gap real quick um, and figure out how you found Spartan Race after you were dealing with all these injuries. Um, so you, so you kind of started to get healthy and then when did you enter the sport and how did that come to be? Yeah. Um, let's see. So yeah, I tried to, tried to race on, uh, the road and the track a little bit in 20, 2013, 2014, had some pretty severe injuries. Um, like kind of fought, fought to get back to, to that road running for a couple years and went through physical therapists and just wasn't really working. Um, and then I decided that I was going to give up, essentially, <laughs> give up on, I mean, and, and I say give up because that's how it felt. It felt completely like I was like yeah. giving up, even though I had tried everything I could. Um, and, yeah. and so, but I just wasn't, I mean, I wasn't getting, I was getting answers from specialists that like, oh, your nerve, you're like, your nerves are working well. Like you're, you don't have any kind of lumbar issue. Um, but then getting answers from surgeons that like, oh, we don't really want to operate. <laughs> so. Interesting. 
Were you taking time? Were you not running at all this time? Or are you still trying to run as much as you could? Or were you completely off running? For um, a while? I took four months completely off running because that was just like one approach that my physical therapist wanted to take. And, um, and that, so I took to, like four months totally off. And then I, then like came back to running. I think I ran like one week at 50 miles. And then the next week I was like, like something happened and it was back to like mm. a few weeks off. Um, and then there was, a, there was a long time of like probably running like 10 to 15 mile weeks because I would just run three miles easy here and there. But even at the worst, three miles easy at eight minute pace on the road was not possible for me. It was like, I, I would feel like my hip, I didn't have control over my hip. So, so wow. it got pretty bad. Um, and part of it was that I was traveling a lot at this time. I worked for Hoka and I was in the car a lot of hours and I think the sitting did not help. <laughs> um, so yeah. I actually, I, I quit my job. <laughs> I, um, I, I just decided like, Oh, I, I, you know, trails seem to be a little bit better. So I'm just only going to run on trail. Um, and, and so, it, so then I started easing back into running. Things were going well. I was still having a ton of like, still definitely having a lot of symptoms with my hip. And, um, but it was like enough, like enough of light that I was like, Oh, maybe I can race on trails again. Mm-hmm. So I contacted David and I told him my history and that I wanted to go into trail and maybe obstacle course racing. But it was like, it was just kind of like a little tiny thought <laughs> at like the end of my email or something. Um, and then I, um, I was living with, with um, this girl who had a friend, uh, his name is Drew Rossi and he's like super into Spartans. Um, and he came to visit for like a week and and, uh, and like, so I met this guy and I was like, oh yeah, like I like to rock climb, like to run. And he was like, oh my gosh, like, I think you have the perfect background to do Spartan races. Um, and I kind of like, I kind of like kind of blew it off. And I was like, yeah, like, I don't think that's what I'm looking for. I think I want to do trail races. Um, and he mm-hmm. was like, he was like, no, I think like, I don't think you understand that there's like a very competitive scene. There's very serious athletes in this. Um, and so he convinced me to sign up for one. So uh, so I did the Colorado Super in 2016. That was my first race. And at the time, I think my longest run was about seven miles. And the race itself was like nine or 10. I remember like being in the race mm-hmm. and being like, oh my gosh, like I just ran eight miles. Like, <laughs> this is great. Um, and everything felt relatively good. What, what venue was that specifically? That was the Colorado. Is that pretty hilly? Yep. Is that no- Yeah, pretty game? hilly. Um, had some strange obstacles in that one. It had a laser gun, <laughs> which I missed, and I missed the spear. <laughs> I watched you race that day. You did? Yeah, I was there. I had a broken toe, and oh. I was, uh, but I lived like ten minutes from Fort Carson at the time. That's right. And and so I went down there, and I was like hanging out at that tent with Ian Adamson and Joe DeSena. We watched, and it was interesting watching you race. Um, because you, we knew you hadn't done it before, but we could see like, oh yeah, the, the framework is there. If this girl (laughs) like figures a few of these things out, this, this might be like the start of that next wave of women's, uh, the women's field filling out because up until that point, there weren't a whole lot of new players in the game, but so it was cool watching your first race and then watching you, you know, as your finished product or almost finished product a couple Mm. of years later. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know you were there. (laughs) Yeah, it it was a brutal race for me, and I think that, it was tough conditions too. Yeah, 
Yeah. And honestly, like I wasn't ready to race. Like I had only, the most I'd run was seven miles at the point. I think I had, I think I had two months of like that, of rebuilding my running. Um, and I'm, I'm still glad I did it, but it would have, it kind of would have been nice to have, you know, had four to six months of solid running under me and felt like confident at that race distance and then gone into it. So it was kind of, it was like, you know, like I wasn't ready to run <laughs> that much. Like it was cold. It was like 40 degrees and like yeah. wet that day. It was a lot of wet. It oh was a God. nasty course. Yeah. It was like, yeah, like cactus and it's, it's, a, it's like pretty harsh course. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a hills. lot of good girls there, right? Yeah. KK and Faye were both there. Mm-hmm. Um, and was Alyssa and then there? I didn't even, I don't think Alyssa was there. No. Okay. But like, I didn't even know how to do burpees. So I, I so when I did them, I, like, I didn't know how to do them like efficiently, like a race burpee. So I was like literally doing like push ups, and I'm not that good at push ups. <laughs> um, and I'm sure I didn't do some right too. <laughs> but yeah, it was like, I, I also almost didn't do this, like, go to the starting line because I was so cold and I was like, what? I have to go through water, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of funny now. And they put you through it really early that day too. Yeah. Well, I don't, I th- yeah, there might have been like a stream or something. But the dunk wall was so cold. It's like it was literally the coldest dunk wall I think I've ever been in. It was so cold. Like when I got into it, it took my breath away, and I almost turned around and like walked out. <laughs> and the, so, what like, brought you back? Um, I so I just really craved a competition. Like I had missed it so so much, and so um, even though. I think initially I was like, man, that did not go well. Like I failed these two things and that was very uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, I think just the fact that I was like kind of like in contention with the other top girls and that it clearly catered more to my strengths and also the injury that I was experiencing. Um, It it was very, very clear that it was like, this is going to be my ticket back into competition. So, um, I, I had this whole year, like race uh, schedule laid out for trail races, and that was like immediately totally disregarded. And I was like, okay, what are the best? Where are the best obstacle course races? Who are the best people? I want to go compete against them. I want to do all these races. I want to make it happen this year. <laughs> so I just threw myself into it. <laughs> what, what did the rest of that season look like for you then? Um, so so after that race, I went to Monterey, which was like the net, which was the first big race that I did. I mean, that was actually the first one I did was actually pretty big because KK and Faye were, you know, top competitors. Um, but I went, went to Monterey for the actual like NBC race and that, that went pretty well. I'd say I was again, kind of like destroyed by those heavy carries. Like the bucket was super brutal. I went from, I think I was like right with Lindsay and then I went and I was passed by like eight people (laughs) in just that obstacle. Um, and then I, I actually hit my spear, but I thought I missed it because it went into the wood and someone there was like, it doesn't count. Uh, and so then I went, I did burpees. And then after the race, like, uh-huh. I think like a long time after I realized that the rule at the time was if you hit anything and it stuck in, then it counted. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I did, I did like a lot of like dumb things like that, that year where I like messed obstacles up or I didn't know the rules or like. I don't know, just like got cold or 
Was that the, was that the race? They just actually they featured you just a brief moment in that race on their NBC rewinds, didn't they? I think that's 2017, the one they just yeah. That's yeah. The, the 2016 one, oh, I ended okay. up fifth, um, which was exciting because at that time that was like podium. They had like a top five podium. So, um, and I had like enough enough success there, success there that I was like really excited at that point. I was like, oh, I think I can actually be really good at this. And then from there then on, it just got worse and worse. Because <laughs> <laughs> we went from like that race to Palmerton and had like the double sandbag carry and all these like brutal obstacles. It's like, it was like super hot and I wasn't ready. I didn't know how to fuel for a long race or hydrate, I guess. Um, so I had like cramps in every race and I lost like a billion places in the heavy sand, the heavy carries. <laughs> um, so I think that race I was, maybe I was still in the top 10, but I was like, it didn't get better. And I thought I was like, I went for Monterey thinking like I can win next time. <laughs> It's the crazy thing about getting to this sport and you get your first taste of a course and then the second course and you think you know and then suddenly you realize there's like three different types of courses in this sport and I'm only ready for one. Yeah, and I had no idea. I I yeah, I thought I thought that Colorado was hilly and then when I went to Monterey, I thought Monterey is hilly and then my mind was just blown <laughs> after that. <laughs> do you think um do you think that double getting better at something like the double sandbag or the carries was was more technique oriented or more you lacked the strength? I lacked the strength. There, there was some technique. Strength for sure. Um, like in one race, I just didn't know how to pick them both up at once from the ground. But but really, ultimately, I lacked the strength. Like I had, I had, I have, I had forearm strength, and I had like good like shoulder stability and control. But I think I lacked um, just kind of like the core strength and. Um, I don't know exactly. It, it was, it was, it was a weird, um, it was like a weird time figuring out exactly what I need to do. Cause I did some, I did some like barbell lifting for a while and I thought like, Oh, that'll be, that'll be good. But it wasn't enough. It was like, it, I think it made, I think it was like good strength training for me as a runner, but it really didn't do anything for my heavy carries. Um, it really wasn't until I started doing like a lot of like kettlebell things and started doing like snatches and, um, and like, just like, like suitcase carries or like walking around with them overhead or, um, or doing like tons of cleans and doing these like, like longer kettlebell workouts that I felt like I actually had all that strength. Mm. See, I feel like people, um, I feel like one, do you put, a, do you put a lot of time into training now under like the sandbag load? Do you practice the carries now and all of that on a regular basis? Not, not actually, really. no, I just, I think I just do more kettlebell stuff. And then, I mean, I'll, I'll pick up a sandbag after a run and I'll go like jog with it or carry it up and down a hill a few times. But, um, but I think it was really key for me to do, and, and I could have done it with sandbag too. Like, you know, kettlebells just happened to be what Nell and Dylan like. <laughs> so that ended up mm -hmm. working for me. I actually, Hunter was the first one that said you need to go buy two 25 25 pound kettlebells and you need to do a bunch of different movements and don't put them down for a while. Like your workouts with them should be, you're doing different movements for a good, like, you know, 20 to 40 minutes without really putting them down. In 2013 or 2014, I was, Hunter and I started talking training for the first time, I think 2013. 
And after one race where he, he just gapped me so terribly on a, it was like a, a one mile, 60 pound sandbag carry at an Atlas race because the, the course wasn't marked right. We are supposed to take it a quarter mile. We took it a mile. But at the, at the end of that, I'm like, and I know that wasn't supposed to happen, but you were so much better. Like, what do I need to do? And he said the same thing. He said, go buy a 50 pound kettlebell and just don't put it down for a while. Really? So even back then, like he's, he was telling the same advice to all of us weak runners who needed to just get some functional strength under their belts. Yeah. It works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't argue with it, but it, uh, it seemed too simple when he first told me that to be true, but there's something to having that awkward weight where you have to hold it in your grip the whole time, but get it into different positions on your body that really paid dividends, you know, as a skinny distance runner, being under different type of off balance loads, it was really helpful. Yeah. And I think it doesn't require something incredibly heavy. It's not like, I don't know, like even with a barbell, like you, you know, you're, you're grabbing it with two hands and so it can, like, it needs to be a lot heavier. Um, but yeah, kettlebells. And I, I think you could probably do the same thing with, with like a 50 pound sandbag, like clean it a bunch of times, you know, put it on your back, do a bunch of squats, you know, just like walk around with it. But again, it's like some movements are easier with a kettlebell just because of the, the way it moves. Yeah. So how did, how did Nicole from first year, 2016, uh, turn into the Nicole we now know, uh, you know, as our world champ in 2019, how did that happen, Nicole? I know you can't probably summarize it super concisely, but what was that progression? Like, how did you get to where you are right now? Cause you beat some hell of athletes to get to where you are right now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that, I think I can answer it pretty well. Let's see. <laughs> so, um, I think it it took a change in my perspective um, and kind of owning things a little bit more because in the first two years, especially I, I complained a lot. Like I don't think of myself as a negative person, but I was like, Oh, I would, I would compare it all the time to, to my track and cross country background. And I'd be like, Oh, I don't like this thing that's in this race. Cause it's not like, it's not like my background. Um, Or I would be like, Oh, it's too cold. It's like, you know, the heavy carries are too heavy. I'm too small. I'm not as big as the other girls, which wasn't really true. Um, like, you know, like Rhea, Faye, like we're all kind of the same size. Um, Faye, Faye and Lindsay are a little taller than me, I guess, but. <laughs> barely. Yeah, Lindsay, Lindsay's actually barely taller. She's like five, five, I think, or, or something. But, um, but yeah, I just like kind of, kind of just like complained, I think. And, um, kind of had this negative attitude that like, I wasn't going, I didn't really want to change. Like I was like, I want to be just this runner climber and I don't really want to, to, to like, you know, put the work into, to do these heavy carries cause I don't like them. And because I don't really want to be good at that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and I thought maybe, mm -hmm. maybe some part of it was like, I thought it would take away from what I, the strengths I had, but, um, yeah. So part of it was mindset and just kind of changing that and being like, if I want to do the sport, this is how it is. And I have to put the time in to do heavy carries. That's just kind of how it is. And, um, and things like obstacles aren't always the same and like, you know, kind of like tough luck, like bad things happen or like, you know, bad luck happens. And I need to, to not like complain about different lanes, not being the same or, um, I don't know. There's just lots of things that, I was kind of, I would kind of get like a chip on my shoulder about. <laughs> so that, and then um, same thing, like when it comes to like cold conditions, um, I think that 
I didn't, um, I didn't see like gear as being um, as important as it is. And I think you saw, saw that in Tahoe. Um, like every year leading up to Tahoe this past year, <laughs> I wasn't prepared in terms of gear. Um, and I also didn't put the time in to see like how, how cold obstacles affected me um, and like what I could actually do about it. So there was lots of Lots of things to do with like weather as well, because <laughs> that's a big factor in our races. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. then, yeah, and then I think that's it. I don't know. <laughs> sounds like sounds like one. You became a, a true student yeah. of the sport. You accepted the fact that you were going to school for Spartan racing, and you and you opened up to it. And then two, I'm hearing like the biggest. I mean, of course, you had physical. You're training through all this, but it almost seems like your mindset was sort of maybe the biggest reason why you ended up succeeding like you have. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I I think a big turning point was when I quit my job and also committed to, uh, to racing more and to just kind of like getting the experience that you need. Um, I think that's one thing, like if you look at everyone who's really successful, um, I think I was telling Johnny this, um, because Johnny, like Johnny's had kind of, he's kind of like me back in like 2016, 2017, like, he's had like these big successes, but then he's not consistent. Um, And I told him like, part of it is just getting experience so that you don't whiff on the bell in Alabama. (laughs) Mm -hmm, That's right. I was was next to him when he did that right next to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's part of mindset too. It's like, I don't know, like the more experience you have, like the the more things you can pull from and, um, and it kind of, it kind of helps you to have a more positive mindset and feel more confident. I'm glad you highlighted this because it's a it's a roadblock I think a lot of people face who, who come to the sport from a different form of running. People who come over it from soccer or wrestling or whatever, they can just be like, yeah, I'm gung-ho on Spartan. But anyone who's a runner prior, that we all hit this roadblock of like, I want to do what I do, and I don't want to be known as the Spartan runner. Like, I want to be a really great runner who's good at Spartan race, but I don't want to do heavy carries every day. I don't want to go get cold and wet in training. I don't want to dedicate everything to become that because there's, like, we have a hang-up about that. But it's the people, you're right, who say, okay, I'm going to race 20 times this calendar year, and I'm going to come out of this knowing every obstacle inside and out, my transitions, how to handle every single type of gear. It's those people that make their breakthrough to the next level. And it takes that year of everyone in the sport Everyone has to over race for a year and go take their lumps and embrace being a, a racer before they can kind of settle into their groove. Yeah, totally agree. I think that, and that goes like against everything that I, that like I kind of like grew up yeah. learning as a runner. It's like, you know, you, you don't over race, like you, <laughs> you, you train like yeah. in this like progressive form and. Yeah, like cross country, for example, D1 studs will race maybe four times all out the whole cross country season. You know, they'll skip, they'll tempo regionals just to get through a lot of them. They'll skip their their early season meets just so they can save their big efforts. Uh, because the way you train is the way you race in cross country or track. You can simulate a race in training, but in OCR, you have to knock the rust off a few times before you can let it rip on a course. Yep, totally. It's bizarre. So I, I do want to talk your current mindset because there are like two tipping points in an athlete's career. I think the first is when you fail for the first time and maybe repeatedly, like mentally, what do you do to move forward? And we already saw what you did. You refocused, you revamped, and you became a world champion. But then the second point in the athlete's career is not one that everyone hits. It's when you achieve your goal. 
Like you are now a multi-time world champion and you won the, like nothing against OCR worlds, but it doesn't quite have the prestige that Spartan world championships has. And you've got that now. And I'm curious to know what your mindset is. Are you now thinking like, okay, business as usual. I'm going to keep racing a lot of races. I'm going to go do all my different things. And then I would really love to win worlds again this year. Or are you now like my mission in life is to repeat as champion? to dispel any of those questions people might have, like, was it a fluke? Was it a injury thing to other athletes? Was it a, was it a one-time thing? Because in your mind, you know, it wasn't, but fans of the sport are always going to talk. What drives you right now? Um, Yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely hear voices that say like, oh, it was a weird year or, you know, Lindsay had an ankle injury or, um, yeah, I, kind of, I feel like that kind of, kind of comes up often. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, Lindsay only loses when she's not racing 100% or something. Right. <laughs> or like People will always make excuses for other people. Yeah. And people will always assume you're not the champ until you defend it. Yeah. And I and, and even, so I guess this, this actually is a good transition. <laughs> so um, I hear a lot of people say like, oh, Nicole's the only one that can contend with Lindsay. Or maybe like Nicole and Becca and Lindsay are in like, a category of their own. Um, and that is actually something that kind of irks me. And I think that, I think one, I think that there's a lot of women in the field that aren't given the credit that they're due. <laughs> um, but I also mm-hmm. think that, that as a, as like just the women's field in general can step up a little bit more. And I don't know if that's exactly everyone, everyone, um, who's currently in it racing better. Um, or if it's also bringing more people into the sport. And I think it's probably a combination of the two. But one thing that I would love to see and I would love to be a part of is bringing more women into the sport and in particular into the, like, the competitive side of the sport. Well, well, honing in on something you just said about how it kind of irks you a little bit about maybe you, Lindsay, and possibly Becca being hands down better than the rest of the field. Now, if we do look back a couple of years, there was a pretty big mix up with like Faye in there and Ray in there and uh, Alyssa in there and all of those things. Do you think that that you and Lindsay have become more fit and better? Or do you think that the other athletes have maybe slipped a little bit or a combination of both? What is your take on that? Um, I do think that both Lindsay and I are more consistent. And I think, um, I think, yeah, I think we're more consistent. I think that um, I've become more consistent in my training and um, I see, I see this, I mean, things still happen, but you know, I don't, I don't mess up obstacles as much. I don't, I don't just like, get destroyed on heavy carries. I, um, yeah. And I, and that's basically Lindsay figured out everything like a little bit before I did. (laughs) And so she's been more consistent for longer. Um, so I think that is part of it. Um, if we look at specifics like Rhea, for instance, um, I, I think Rhea has just transitioned into like a different, a different arena. You know, she's, she's definitely more heavily focused on ultras Um, that's what she wants to do, what she's passionate about, but if she wanted to, I'm sure she could come in and be right there with Lindsay and I. Um, so, and I kind of, I kind of like on the similar, in the similar vein, Alyssa has kind of gone a little more towards, um, the high rocks, deck of fit, uh, stadium type of races. So part of it is probably people kind of finding their little niche they like better. Um, and then someone like Becca, for instance, has just, she hasn't had, she hasn't had the consistency when it comes to health and injuries. 
Um, and so that's why we haven't seen her up there as much. Yeah, I think you're right. I think everyone else has a, has a but right now. Like Faye could do it, but she's still working like other things and she doesn't live in mountains. And Alyssa could do it, but she's kind of like feeling out what style of training do I do and what racing do I do? And uh, Becca could do it, but I haven't been healthy and we just haven't got a chance to even take her like restrictor plate off yet. So you too have had the most consistency, but I, I do think that, that that should be a compliment to you guys because it can only go hand in hand with a mindset. Like consistency can't happen until you get to that new level of, uh, of confidence and bulletproofness mentally, where like your look on your face just is different now when you stand at a start line than it was two, three years ago. And part of that is, you know, it's, <laughs> you can't have one without the other. You can't be totally confident and ready until you've had consistency, but you can't be super consistent in races and in training until you're like mentally dialed in. But you're right. You and Lindsay, as much as you don't want to hear it, you have separated and it might not be because you're better and you, there are girls that aren't getting looked at, but you figured out your process better than I think the rest of the field has currently. It's not to say that if we remove those butts from them, they can't get back to it. But I think you do deserve more credit in that you have figured your process out and you can do it day in and day out. And that is essentially what endurance sports is about. Yeah. Um, and I think also kind of similar to that is uh, we kind of saw Lindsay maybe push too much last year. Mm -hmm. And she got injured yep. and, um, and now obviously like if you just follow her, she's, she has this whole different kind of plan of attack of, uh, I don't know what exactly it is. It's basically like more isn't better, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is, I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. just like, it's kind of like what I say too. It's like, yeah, like a lot of people think that runners, you know, like if you look at pr pro runners, like many people run 70 to 90 mile weeks. <laughs> um, yep. And that's just, you know, the number one goal is to show up to the start line healthy. <laughs> um, we just talked yesterday yeah. in the episode released, was it this morning, Kirk? High mileage versus yeah, low morning, mileage. Yeah. It's just what we talked about that there's your upper limit, but then there's the limit you can do where you guarantee you get to the start line healthy. Mm -hmm. And runners, the marathoners, the elite track runners, like it's known you have to run 80 to 120 miles per week or you cannot be world level. But what you don't see are the thousands of athletes who did not get to the start line healthy trying that. Like running is you throw a dozen eggs at the wall and the three that don't crack, that's your national team. Yeah. Where OCR, you have to show up healthy because we race so often. It's not like you can put it together one time a year and you make your national team and you're good for another Olympic cycle. Like that's not our sport. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I also hear too, like, I feel like a lot of athletes fall in this boat where like you have to take your lumps and you have to learn from them. And yet you have to move forward as a smarter, more effective and efficient athlete. Bracken, you're taking like hella lumps right now with two knee surgeries. Becca Hammond is taking lumps by trying to figure out her injury and what works. Faye is taking her lumps by living in the streets of New York and trying to figure out how to make all this work. Alyssa's been injured as heck chronically. Everybody's taking their lumps and then hopefully moving forward in a better way. And you took your lumps and you got smart and you listened and you were a student and you've earned the right to be more consistent. I don't think it's a gift at all. I think it's a testament to your perseverance, in my opinion. Well, think, Yeah, I mean, oh, I yeah. think... Uh... It kind of like it's something that we can all kind of look to during these like weird times as well. It's like without access to exactly what we want to have, um, kind of the the best thing to focus on is 
what's most important <laughs> and how can you, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to maybe do everything exactly how you want to or to the extent that you want to. But if you focus on what's going to keep you healthy, both like mentally and physically, and what you can do consistently, like that's going to result in someone who's fit and healthy and ready to go. Yeah. So, so I want to ask you, this is something I've been personally very curious about you. And I alluded to asking you this earlier in our podcast, but um, the whole deal of staying injury free and making training work and being consistent, like that is like sort of the, the golden ticket question or answer. And I think you probably have some insight there. So do you have advice to people because so many people are constantly dealing with some form of injury and they're either pushing through and then really getting hurt or they're backing all the way off. Like, what would you, what would you tell people? Cause I feel like you're always monitoring your situation, yeah. correct? So how do you do that? Like, how do you tell people to do that? Um, I, I think some of it comes with, with listening. I mean, it kind of sounds um, cliche, but listening to your body, which specifically to me, mm-hmm. that, that comes from running by myself a lot. Um, and it comes from knowing um, when something needs to have a day off and when I can um, or when I can just like adjust training or when I can push through. And um, but I mean, and more, and more generally speaking, um, I think doing a lot, doing a little bit less than you probably than you want to or you think you should is OK. <laughs> and being mm-hmm. very um I forgot the word for it, but the whole concept of easy days, easy, hard days, hard. Like I think most people don't go easy enough on their easy days. So, um, and that's something that like, if I, if I ever do want to do more in in terms of like mileage, I've seen that I do have to back down on my easy days. Um, And, and part of like some, some, one of the ways I do that is making sure that I run with a friend and we're talking the entire time. (laughs) Um, And you can like, you know, Mm. play with little tips tricks like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we, we are in a whole sport that is all about like push harder, push harder. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's really interesting, um, that for me, it's like, I always have to (laughs) kind of like, kind of do the opposite, like kind of know when like, okay, yeah, yes, this 20 minute effort, I'm going to push hard. But outside of that, you know, if I feel something in my foot, I'm backing off. Um, if I feel tired, one day, if I didn't get enough sleep some night, that might mean that I'm not running 10 miles today. That's actually going to, I'm actually going to run six miles instead. And it's going to be easy. Um, but yeah, I just don't think that people kind of, uh, listen to their bodies enough or give themselves enough credit <laughs> or take into, into consideration what else is going on in their life, whether that's sleep or breakups or coronavirus or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's golden. That that's that's everything an athlete needs to hear right there. And it's like it's 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 something that Kirk and I can talk about all we want, but to hear it from someone who is a world champion, you know, it's it's weightier. Someone can say, "Yeah, you're supposed to say that." Like your job is to talk about running and philosophy or you're a coach, but you're the active reigning world champion and you're advocating people to go easier or back off when you need to in order to get faster. And I think it'll just hit home more coming from you than it would from someone who isn't uh, necessarily in a position to say, I am the fastest and I do go slow. <laughs> yeah. I hope, hopefully people do listen because I think people need to be more gracious towards their bodies for sure. I think so. But you didn't quite 
answer one part of my question. And if you don't want to, that's okay. But I'm going to ask again. Are you hell-bent on recapturing your title or are you just business as usual moving forward? Yeah. So I would say my my main goals for this year, at least before everything got disrupted, um, was one, very much so would like to repeat as Spartan World Champion, mm-hmm. especially on the new course. Yeah. It just it very much mm-hmm. excites me yeah. that it's different, that it's going to be some in some ways flatter. Um, you know, it's, yeah, just a totally Shorter. different conditions. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a big goal of mine. Um, but I also kind of, I mean, perhaps because I've already won the world championships um, in Spartan racing, I, I kind of do want to revisit my initial goals from four years ago of wanting to go into trail racing. And okay. um, so, so I did have my sights set on doing the mountain running championship, yeah. which is in Oregon this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that'll happen or not, but yeah, I'm kind of, kind of like wanting to not shift my focus, um, whatsoever, but I just want to kind of also give a little bit more room to, to going into like trail races and sky races a little bit more. I like that. Have you thought about Xterra championships in Hawaii? Oh, I would love to go. It seems like it more often than not, it gets nasty and slippery and that you would bring a skill set there that would play very well. Okay. Yeah. The muddy course. Yeah, I guess I have seen it a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. And Joe Gray, he's from similar areas. You, he's more Colorado Springs, but he's the reigning champ there. So if you ever need a hookup, message Joe. I think I think you could very easily step into that realm and and do well. Mountain running would be an interesting scene for you. That'd be fun to watch. Yeah, that's that's initially what I had my sights set on in 2016. And then every that year. John Alvin approach. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, which I'm, I'm, I still kind of have a, a similar um, interest and background to John. I'd say that we both focus on running and, and he focused on bouldering to get his kind of, you know, obstacle mm-hmm. proficiency down. Um, and I do sport climbing and bouldering. Um, but, but I do more strength than John does for sure. Yeah. yeah. You, uh, you, you mentioned that some people, you know, I said with this last world champs, you know, Lindsay wasn't at her best because her ankle and all of that. Do you feel like winning and doing it again, another world champ would really be like the ice, like the stamp you need to prove like to, do you feel still like you have something to prove, I guess? Is yeah. What um, I guess in a way, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Cause yeah, it's like, you definitely, or I definitely want to win when everybody is on their A game, um, which is pretty mm-hmm. hard. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, like this year, like Susanna wasn't there, but, or 2019, 2018, I had strep throat, but like, I don't know, like, do, pe- do people remember that? Probably not. So, you know, okay. <laughs> I do. I remember that. You were on antibiotics yeah. beforehand. But um, if you're not on there, yeah. a lot of people, like their medical report instantly goes to Instagram. Like if you're not the person who's on there doing your pre-race excuses and your post-race <laughs> excuses, like people aren't going to know and remember and you're not that person. So no, you you yeah. probably won't get the benefit of the doubt very often. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I, I mean, I, actually like the the one thing to me is that I, I just see like so much potential in Rhea. And it's kind of a bummer to me that she shifted towards what she wants to do, which is understandable. But because <laughs> yeah. like, because like even I mean, if you want to look back at 2019 again, like Rhea was coming off of um, the, what was it called? The big adventure race thing. 
um, the eco challenge. Eco yeah. Challenge. And, um, not that she was focusing on Spartan worlds anyways, but, but that's still a course that she would, she's done really well on and, and probably could win on. Um, yeah. but like, I don't know if we'll ever see Rhea come back and focus on a shorter course obstacle race. She's the prime example of doing exactly what she loves, even if it doesn't align with what anyone else wants her to love. Yeah. Which I love about her. It's great. She knows, yeah, I shouldn't hammer every day in running and I should do specific workouts or I should train for this, but it's not what I want to do. I want to hammer every day and I want to do these crazy events. And that's exactly what she does. Even if the whole nation and whole world of OCR wants to see her specify on the standard distance, she has no desire and she won't. And that's kind of like the charm of Rhea. Yeah. I will say she doesn't hammer every day anymore. No. Um, she does some easy runs with me and with other people. <laughs> Good. Well, you've been a great influence on her then. <laughs> Maybe. So Nicole, where are you at with your training right now then? If Spartan Race said, surprise, we have a national series race this weekend, would you be ready to show up and win? Or are you biding your time with your fitness until we get the green light on big races? Um, I think I'm always like pretty ready to race. Um, you know, like, I don't, like 2019 Jacksonville, everybody thought I came in like guns blazing fit. Um, I had been running for a couple months and I had done a few workouts, but I wasn't like out of the world fit. I was just like, I just think like my, like baseline fitness, if I've been running trails and doing a, a workout here and there, um, then I'm, I'm pretty good to go for an obstacle course race at least. Um, so yeah, I mean, if Spartan had a race next week and I jumped in, I think it would go well. Um, cause I'm, I'm healthy and I've been doing consistent training. I'm definitely not sharp. I think that if I had to race like a something short and all out, I would definitely feel it. <laughs> but yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, train's going well. Um, definitely trying to be a little more conservative just because limited access to different like PTs and stuff and um, can't get in the pool like I want to all the time uh, or at all right now. Are you Are you the kind of person that always operates at like, 80 to 90% of their fitness, or do you aim for peaks and valleys down true downtime, true uptime? Are you always like keeping that, that line at like that 80%? Um, I definitely have downtime. You know, I, I take, um, yeah, I take downtime when I need to. Um, but I it just, it doesn't seem to take that long to get myself up to like that 80 to 90%. Like even, even in college, like, um, I remember had some injury before cross country one year and, um, I was, I like barely made it to the first meet. Um, and I was, and I was fine. Like, and people were like, and I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I think like, yeah, I'm always not too far away from, from like close to decent fitness. Well, you give me hope. Um, I, I'm 14 or 15 weeks post my first surgery and I am six or seven weeks away from my next one with another 10 week recovery afterwards. So I'm going to be sitting at like 35 ish weeks. Um, which was like unbelievably daunting to me to think 35 weeks with like practically no running in there. But to hear you took four months off and then like you've done other big, like labrum is very similar to the meniscus in the knee in terms of what its role is in the body. Like talking with you has given me a better, like fuzzy feeling in my stomach rather than like this impending doom. Like you're, you're, you are the world champ and you did take months and months off. So maybe there is some hope. Yeah, it can be pretty daunting coming, like feeling like you're starting from zero. 
Yeah, this will be the the closest to zero I've been since I was 12. And it's scary. But knowing that you've done that and, you know, there are people that have done it, it's it is good for us to hear about some of the valleys people have hit. Yeah. And even I mean, I know it's a long time off, but you're not actually starting from zero. Like, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) you've trained your entire life. (laughs) Yeah. So, So I appreciate you opening up about that stuff. Why are you having a second surgery? Uh, because as soon as the first knee was fixed, I realized that the other one had a tear too. I just couldn't feel it compared to the other one, which was originally worse. Gotcha. And as soon as that one became my good knee and I started planting more on that one, the tear got worse real quick. So, um, so when you're, when you're healthy, what do you think about a basketball dribbling beer mile? (laughs) Well, now that I lost my record, (laughs) I have to change the record to get it back. So yeah, basketball beer mile, I'm in. Sounds great. <laughs> Are you in? I'll I'll do it, but I can't. I don't think my chugging, beer drinking, or dribbling skills are anywhere close to yours. <laughs> well, thank you for 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 getting my ego back up. Um, you said something a few minutes ago that um interested me, and and I am curious to know. Uh, you talked about how you you do sit at that eighty to ninety pretty quickly, and you can hold that for a while, but that you weren't quite sharp right now, but you could sharpen up. So, what is your process? Um, do you, what, like, what's a sharpening process look like for you? And also what is like a typical training cycle look like? Do you just hold it for most of the year and then sharpen? Talk me through that just a little bit. Again, you don't have to give away all the secrets. I'm just curious, like a kitten. (laughs) I, so, I mean, that would, that's really a question for David, I guess more so, but (laughs) my, uh, my thinking is that that's also part of the reason why I'm only doing a workout a week is that the season is very long. And so, um, and I, and I don't think I have as many, it's not like I peak, um, in May and then I go down and then I peak again in September. Like I, I definitely try to peak for Spartan world champs last year. Um, and then kind of like tried to hold that for the rest of the year. Cause like, I think two weeks after that was OCR world championships. And then, um, another like week or two, two weeks after that, I think was trifecta world championships. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's part of part of the the whole concept of kind of having lower intensity in general is that OCR is a is a year long sport. <laughs> so you do the the maintainable schedule where you don't do heavy periodization. You do that ready to race and able to sharpen it whenever you want to. Yep. Yeah. Basically, like kind of building the whole the whole year towards um, getting ready for that longer distance run of, of Tahoe. Um, but, but yeah, never kind of like dipping in too hard. And are you a, are you a person that repeats workouts a lot or, or do you progress from one workout to the next throughout the year? Um, I do a lot of my workouts are very similar. Yeah. And, and, and they're all off of effort too. So like, because I'm on trails, because I'm on Hills, Mm -hmm. it's very hard to go by pace. Um, it's just, pointless (laughs) pointless <laughs> uh there, there's certain places that i do hill workouts and so the and they'll know like oh this is where i usually get to at when i do my two minute hills or my three minute hills and so right. so i'm able to sometimes like gauge how i feel or how it compares to other workouts um but i actually kind of like just going off of effort i think it's um may, maybe not best for like a beginner runner who like really has like no idea how they're supposed to feel but for for me, like I I don't do heart rate training and I don't 
Um, and I just kind of go off the effort because I think I have a pretty good gauge of it. I was at, you actually were in the same line as I was uh, going. So that was smart man. I wanted to know um, if you're two or three weeks out from a big race and you're ready to just put those final touches on, do you have like a workout that you really, that you like to go back to that is one of your sort of staples to really get you sharp? Um, nothing comes to mind. <laughs> Sorry. I guess that's not no. great. Do you just leave, a, you leave it to Dave? Yeah, I just leave it up to David. I mean, I'm someone who I, I'm sure I could coach myself. I, I mean, I definitely understand the training philosophies. Um, but I really, <laughs> I like being told what to do <laughs> and not having to worry about it and not having to like, um, to think like, oh, maybe I should do this instead. So I just like to trust David and I just do what he says. Um, I, I think that gearing up for some more mountainous races um, it, I do feel more confident when I do like a, like a temple run or like time trial, um, if you want to call it that up like some mountain. So there's plenty of them here in Boulder and, um, I've like, I've, yeah, run up Green Mountain or Snedas and, um, that's always good to know how it feels to, to really go hard up like a long climb. Yeah, that makes sense. I think there's something to say about trusting a process, somebody's process, being told what to do, not overthinking. I think the biggest mistake a lot of OCR athletes make, and you guys can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but is they just dabble with one thing and then they try this thing and it's always like trendier. This is the next cool thing. I'm going to do compromise running because that's what Bracken and Kirk talked about this week. And then next week they're going to try to do quality long runs because that's what we talked about the next week. And they're just dipping and they're never just like just trusting a process. Uh I don't know. It sounds like that's kind of how you, you roll. Yeah. I mean, I think it just, again, it kind of goes back to consistency. I think that consistency in training and, and health is going to, I mean, it's, it's going to pay off long-term and that's like most of what I do is not something that's going to directly benefit me. Um, or it's not like having the next race in mind. It's having like the next two years in mind. Oh, it's so good for people to hear. (laughs) I really like a lot of the things you're saying today, Nicole. Like I was already a fan (laughs) of you, but I I was a fan of you as like a racer and the little that I know you in person when we interact, but I'm becoming like even a more fan of the way you approach your craft. I really like this. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) And and you and Kirk are both right. Like we are so quick to say, well, Jacksonville, I have to be in such good 5k shape and then I got to be in great half marathon uh, mountain shape by Utah then. And then I got to turn around and be like ready to go uh, an ultra distance by Tahoe and then sharpen up really, really sharpen for the 3k world. And it's like, I mean, you you don't see a track person like focus on the mile indoors and then the 10k outdoors and then the marathon in fall and then sharpen up for an 800 for the trial. Like that, that mm-hmm. that's not sensical or constantly grasping at what's next, what's next rather than where am I going to be a year or two from now? Yeah. I think a lot of it comes from I mean, the fact that I've had some really great coaches that always, always had like long-term mindset in, um, in mind, like high school coach only ran me 20 to 30 miles a week. Um, was I the best that I could have been in high school? Probably not, but that meant that I had somewhere to go from there and that I didn't get injured all the time and that I wasn't burnt out mentally too, that I still loved running. So you know, like that, that was my foundation in high school was having just like a very passionate coach that took a really, like a really like healthy approach to it. And then in college, again, like had a coach that, um, 
he trained out under Joe V Hill. Mm-hmm. So he was like super knowledgeable. Joe's like one of the, the most respected um, distance coaches in America. And, um, and Jim, my coach was, so he, he like had that, that knowledge base. Um, but was, I think kind of like somewhat toned down from Joe a little bit. Like I wasn't like ever like a super high miles person, mm-hmm. um, really like developed me as an athlete. And, and then, yeah, now David, if you, if you've ever read his, he has a book called the happy runner and it's kind of, again, all about like long-term mindset, long-term development. I like that. That's great. And, and again, I've said this like five times this episode, but this is the stuff people need to hear that these are the truths that, that whether you're open age group, elite world, world champion, like these are the truths that bind every athlete, long-term development, being available at the start line, not getting too high or too low after one result. These are the things that are so important. Yeah. I think some of it comes also from being injured, which I think <laughs> you two can probably speak to as well. <laughs> Yeah, like unfortunately, you learn a lot of good yeah, lessons. If you've had way. a big injury, especially like a long-term one, it's it definitely puts a lot of things in perspective. And um, I I kind of joke like um, my friend in college used to say, "Oh, you're you're still in your all or nothing days." Like you know, like <laughs> playing a playing a game of like I don't know, pick up baseball and like like going for it a hundred percent. Yeah. And um and now I don't know, I'm maybe not quite in those all or nothing days, but. I'm healthier for it. <laughs> well, there's there's something to be said for having the scope of career ending. Like compared to career being over, yeah, a one year rebuild that's manageable. Like planning for two years from now, that doesn't seem so bad when you think about planning for never running again. But when you've never had the scope of I could be done, taking a a thirty week or a fifty week approach to something would seem like the most tedious, boring, pointless thing ever. But Sometimes you have to go to that place of thinking this might never be there again. Okay, I can take a two-year view on training. Yep. <laughs> I mean, everyone in this room right now, in this internet room, has faced the fact that maybe I'll never run again. And that that puts things in perspective. A year's not long. Forever's a long time. A year? Okay, a year is gonna fly by. Yeah, I think it also it um it changes like your reasoning too. Like it's less about the next performance and it's more about you get more enjoyment just from each individual run and mm-hmm. from being able to be out there and do it at all. Yeah. No, what I find is people who have gone through injury, like you talk career ending injury, when they do realize they get some of it back, they enjoy the process so much damn more that they can just have like a, have an appreciation for the ability to do what they're doing and they're much more cerebral and smart about it. And just like you mentioned, they think ahead. And it's a new, like like for me, like I have a new love for training. The process, people are asking, why, how are you doing without races? Are you, is, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I love the process. I'm okay. I'm just appreciative I can train. Yep, totally. That's kind of similar but to what I'm in. I'm like, that's, it's, it's almost a, a nice little break, um, break from racing and able to just kind of focus on training because I do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Imagine all the young, hungry bucks in this sport right now who are like, this is my breakout season. I'm training all year for this. And now they're just going crazy, not able to race where you can look at it and be like, yeah, when racing comes back, I'm going to hit the ground and race all of you. But in the meantime, I'm good. And that there's, there's some peace to that that a lot of people don't have right now, the people that are trying to break through or who are desperate. Yeah. And I, de- I mean, I, yeah, kind of been there before, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I don't know. I mean, what I'm mm-hmm. trying to 
what I've tried to tell people is that one, training right now isn't pointless. Like you're still going to reap those rewards of fitness in the months to come. So if someone someone that struggles with with motivation, um, I think it's yeah, it's still like it's it's important to have that motivation when there's not a race immediately in front of your face. Because the reality of it is that a lot of your training is going to benefit you from years to come, not just like the next month. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you have to enjoy the process and any training you're doing now, even if a race isn't in sight, is money in your fitness bank that you can you can cash in on later. Um, Nicole, as we slowly work at wrapping this thing up, uh, I noticed or I, you mentioned, you know, your intention is to go back and win the Spartan World Champs, um, which I like that when someone tells says they want to, they're going to do something. I also want to know, do you have any other big goals this year um, or is that the main focus still? For um, you? So actually, I'm really excited <laughs> about potentially having a little bit longer break from racing so that I can somewhat focus on having an outside rock climbing project because that's like that oh. my rock climbing has in a lot of ways been put on the back burner once I started to really focus on obstacle course racing. So, um, so I haven't progressed like the, um, like my, my highest grade of climbing in a long time. Um, and but mostly because when it comes to like an outside project, it takes going outside, picking out a route. And then it takes like sometimes like many, many days of going back to that same climb and just like repeating the, the moves and trying to nail it down. Um, it's like, it's a big commitment. And so, um, that's actually maybe not what you're getting at, but <laughs> to me, that's what comes up is that like, Oh, no. I can actually focus on these other goals that I have that definitely lend to my obstacle course training, but it's like it, but it's a different, different endeavor altogether. You know, I think it's important for actually people to hear that too, because I have a lot of things that get me excited to get out of bed in the morning. Running and OCR training is one of many things. And it's it's good to know you have other things that get you excited <laughs> other than running. That's important. Yeah. It's true. So do you have do you have a rock or a, something in mind? You're, I don't know a ton about climbing, but all right, do you have something in particular you're hoping to map out? You, um, so there's, there's a few different climbs that I've been on before that I've thought like, huh, like it would be fun to come back to this. Um, and so I have, yeah, a few things that are like local in the Boulder area that would be easy to get on. Um, and that's what I'll probably, I'll probably pick something that's like somewhat close by. So what's your grail? Like what would be the, the culmination of a career of climbing for you? Um, I think that climbing 513A or even 513B is not too far off for me. I think it, again, it's just like, I think I have like all the tools it takes to climb that grade, but I just have to spend the time like working on one specific project to do that. Um, but mm -hmm. it would also be cool to try to like raise my level of like um, endurance and finger strength and technique in climbing and then be able to maybe look at even higher grades. But I think that would take like a, a more monumentous effort. And I don't know if like I don't know if, if like my having the other goals that I have, if I can complete that at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So for people that don't, for people that don't understand real quick, I'm sure a lot of our listeners aren't rock climbers. Can you like give any little perspective on like a, what a route like that would look like? Like 513, you said, what, like, what are the finger holes? Like, like we're, we're talking really technical, like in cr crazy impressive. Yeah. So climb, like a correct? climb like that, um, 
the way that I describe it is that, you know, like when you have to like brace when you're lifting something, like you brace your body. Okay. Um, so you're like constantly doing that. And then like the holds that you're grabbing are like, maybe um, it's like slopey thing. So it's like your palm is just like contacting something. Basically, you're not like actually like pulling down <laughs> on anything real. Your fingers aren't wrapped yeah, around Yeah, you're just anything, like, you're so using like body tension. Oh. So you're like, your whole body is like braced and you're like slapping things or you're on like very tiny holds. Um, so like like the climb that I'm thinking of that I, of doing, it's more of that style of climbing where you're like kind of like balancey and like you could like come off the wall at any second <laughs> if like your foot pops off of something tiny or if like the little tiny crimp that your fingers are holding on to um, blows. <laughs> um, but the the actual the climbing that I prefer is more like overhanging climbs that have more positive holds, like better things to hold on to. But it's more endurancey, so you have to have um, more like it's called um, uh, power endurance. So it's not endurance like running exactly, but it's like ability to to clear like byproducts as you're climbing up like a steep face. So which is what I'm better at, but we don't have quite as much of that around here. It's more of that, like, like slap to something that doesn't exist and then like use your entire attention and then like grab something really tiny. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense to an on-climber. <laughs> let you know, but it, yeah. even if it doesn't, it sounds impressive. Using terms that people don't know is always an easy way to sound impressive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you look at one last question about climbing and then we can move on from that. Do you look at climbing from like a fear perspective? Because a lot of people it scares the shit out of. And if not, have you had any bad falls where you've actually been scared before? Like, is there anybody any close calls? Yeah. For you? Um, I've gotten a bone bruise from falling before. Um, it was, it was a bad situation where like my belayer, wasn't in an ideal spot potentially and his foot slipped. And so he actually pulled me into the wall. Um, so I, I hit Sorry, harder Aaron. than I could have. No, it wasn't Aaron. It was, it was one of my, it was like a buddy, uh, <laughs> like six, six years ago. Okay. He felt so terrible. It was, and it was like, it was unavoidable. Like the belay spot was like this slanted area and it's just like hard to stand on. Um, but like, yeah, so I, I kind of like, I got like a bone bruise in my foot because of that. Um, one time I fell and I, and I fell under a ledge and scraped my leg. So I actually have this like pretty sick looking scar on my right thigh that looks like, um, like a tiger, like scratched me or something. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the time, not so badass, more painful and bloody. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's typically um, how it is, right? Yeah. But in terms of the whole fear thing, um, I'm, I'm not someone who's like incredibly bold, I would say. Um, I'm, I don't do that well, like free soloing. Um, there's like a lot of different areas here in Boulder that people like to free solo. So like climbing with no ropes um, and that, and it's all like very easy things that you like can, you're not like, you're not doing like big climbing moves. You're more so just like, like smearing your feet. It's like walking up a Z wall or sorry, um, an inverted, not an inverted wall. What's a, a slip wall? So imagine like a really long mm -hmm. slip wall. That's like kind of the 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 stuff that people tend to solo around here. But even doing that, that's like it's relatively easy. Um, that freaks me out. <laughs> so I prefer to be like on a rope, pretty safe, doing hard moves. <laughs> that makes sense. 
So the, the last thing I have in my chamber of questions for you is actually about grip strength. So this works out nicely. You seem to be like, maybe, would you say you have the best in terms of grip strength proficiency on the women's side of the sport? Yeah, I would think so. Um, okay. So yeah, or at least my grip endurance. I, I actually, yeah, I think that I potentially don't have the, the, the best like um, crush grip strength. You talk about right. this a lot, right? But, but yeah. grip endurance for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that's what's the the most important for our sport. And so when when I work with um, any female client that wants to talk about grip, your name always comes up because you're just kind of known as that's the girl with grip endurance. And and so if you could just give like the easy low hanging fruit, if someone needs to be able to swing from obstacles while they're fatigued, you know, if you're going if to keep your band at OCR Worlds or to get through the late twister monkey twister after being cold in Tahoe what would you say are like your two or three things that everyone should have in their repertoire for training so that they can get, you know, within like sight of your level? Uh, so one thing that I think is very overlooked is actually uh, technique. So it's something, so, so a lot of people will um, practice different grip exercises and they'll practice pull-ups, but um, sometimes actual technique of like, uh, body awareness and like how to move your body through space while you're yeah like grabbing different holds is somewhat mm -hmm. overlooked. And I think that's something that, um, it's very transferable from climbing to obstacles. Um, so if somebody is like, Oh yeah, I want to work on strength on grip strength. I'm going to go to a climbing gym. That's actually not, it's not enough. Like mm -hmm. you need to go to a climbing gym and actually figure out like, like learn things about technique and about how to like properly engage your muscles and like proper positioning to be in. Um, and it, and it has like a huge effect. I think that once you, um, if, if you're properly engaging your shoulders, um, and if you learn how to like brace your body when you're moving from like one hole to another, I think that transfers really well into, into obstacles. Um, especially when, you're feeling super fatigued and you don't think you can make it to the next thing. If you have this, um, if you have like a climbing background to draw on where you're like, well, yeah, like I've done this before where I'm like really fatigued, but I know that if I like, if I can use my momentum in a certain way, or if I can like brace my body and, um, and get to like the next hold, then it's going to happen. <laughs> Is that something so. people can pick up through online tutorials and videos, or do they have to find an expert in person and work? Well, so the things that I'm thinking of is one, just like um, doing like scapular engagement exercises, which okay. is like super simple, like like scapular pull-ups, um, mm -hmm. things like that that help with um, with just having kind of like with helping you to like really properly engage all your muscles. Um, and then you're because because one thing is like if you're if you're just dead hanging on one hand and your shoulder isn't engaged, it's it's a very different like your grip isn't as strong that way. Mm -hmm. you're you're stronger when you're when your whole body is engaged um so like you can hold on to things um more if you're like locked off than if you're like long-armed um like your grip is stronger that way so so i think that's something that can be learned through yeah so like <laughs> so scapular pull-ups um lock-off strength is a really big one which is starting to be i think a word that's like thrown around more in obstacle training i think people are, are actually practicing like lock off specific things. Um, but again, it's like, I see tons of people doing these exercises, 
and they're they're not engaging their scapular like they're not um they're not like really like using their lats to pull in so they're okay. just kind of using like their biceps and their forearms i'm taking way. notes here on my phone as okay. you're talking <laughs> <laughs> nicole do you do you do any sort of uh gym uh work for grip strength or is it all climbing it's all climbing right yeah um i, I mean i do some things on a hangboard and i think that can be pretty beneficial for people too um just to change up how they grip things you know you can grip a bar all day long but um but gripping things in different ways is going to help you grip um different holds that you might experience i mean this is like more so when i'm thinking of like um, of OCR worlds, like OCR worlds has harder obstacles when it comes to and Spartan, but, but even still, like, if you think of like the Z wall, um, knowing, like having better body awareness and knowing how to position your body better is going to keep you on those holds when they're really slippery. And if you know how to grab them in different ways, like mm -hmm. you might meat hook it, or you might pinch it, or you might crimp it. <laughs> and if you have all those different skills mm -hmm. in your tool set, then you may be able to get through one that, um, that, you know, for whatever reason, like one block is like twisted funny or it's slippery or, or whatever. I'll tell you what you, uh, solidifying you as the queen of grip strength. Uh, I decided on that in Tahoe when you decided to hang with one arm, <laughs> warm up your other hand, if you were da dangling on the twister and then continue. Cause I know how difficult that obstacle was on cold numb hands. And you casually went through that. Like it was a joke. And I was like, shit, she just showed me up. That's for sure. <laughs> that was an interesting obstacle. I actually went to, I tried to like blow on my hand, but then I just got snot on it. And then, and then I was like, great. Now I have like a slippery <laughs> hand. <laughs> it's yeah. counterproductive, isn't it? Um, Nicole, who, uh, who's supporting you these days? Who do you want to give some credit to that's got your back? Uh, before we uh, end yeah, this thing. Um, so uh, right now I'm sponsored by Spartan Reese and Honey Stinger and Alt Red. Alt Red is a beet supplement. It's a it's a um, phytonutrient, so it's similar to to products like Beet Elite, but it's in a small pill form essentially. And um, then also Darn Tough Vermont Sock Company. They're um, they actually currently have a sock in production that all the proceeds go to the Vermont Food Bank which is pretty cool. Um, and then I also work with craft uh, and inside tracker a little bit. Um, so I would shout out those as well. Yeah. Awesome. I noticed you didn't mention any of your housemates there supporting you. <laughs> um, I would say that becoming a long quarantine with some of these jokers. No, it, Andy and Carly are, are huge support networks for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done so much more mobility in the last month than I ever thought I would ever do. <laughs> really? Yeah. And yeah, we just, I mean, we do everything together. We, we cook all our dinners together. <laughs> They've kind of just like adopted me as, as like their, I don't know, child or something. <laughs> Have they been part of that influence to get you back to the trail scene? Um, yeah. Andy actually was like very, very critical in, um, in me doing any kind of trail running at all. Um, yeah. When, when I first met him, he, he took me on some of like my first trail runs in Boulder. And this I, is Andy Wacker for those Andy of you Wacker. who don't yeah. know her background. He, I, I think there was definitely some tears shed on certain trails when I was like, I was like having like some asthma problems and I was trying to run up these like really steep hills and he's like a, you know, like Joe Gray level mountain runner. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and like a, 
1345k runner or something. <laughs> so yeah, trying to keep up with Andy uh, when I first moved here was was definitely challenging, but I think it gave me a little push towards the trail side of things. Awesome. Well, having that support network at home is huge. Yeah, it's great living with athletes. Everyone um, is up for doing a, a little run here and there or core mobility. It's great. Cool. Well, I don't, I don't have anything else for you, Nicole. You were, uh, you were great today. I learned a lot about <laughs> well, you. Well, thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of people request you to, uh, yeah. to hop on the podcast. Oh, so we appreciate two hours of your time. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Nicole. That's a long one. That's what she's done. <laughs>